Well, I want to say good morning to each of you this morning. Welcome to Stonesville Community Church. Thanks for braving the elements and the snow and the icy roads and all the slush and the drifting. My goodness, our road was um, used, is very bad for drifting, Sparta Lake Road, and uh, we're down to one lane already in some places. And so, very grateful to be here. I have to say, though, I came to jer- uh, church with a little more joy today. Um, one of the things that Will had to do was uh, I had to go get his truck uh, since he went to Germany. He's in the Army. And so uh, I have a four-wheel drive truck now. And so it was with great joy that I shifted that baby down into four high and split those uh, roads wide open. They don't have to plow Sparta Lake Road anymore. I, got, I took care of it. And uh, so watch, I'll go home and I'll be in the field in the ditch somewhere. And somebody have to come and get me. That's what's going to happen. Will's going to come back from Germany. There's going to be scratches and dents and uh, all kinds of problems with that truck. So uh, I'm having way too much fun. But uh, it's been a few years since I've had a four-wheel drive. And so I'm just glad that, glad that that uh, serves a purpose this time of year. But you've made it. However you got here, you've made it. And God is good. And I trust that he will speak to you today and bless you with a word from the Lord to give you encouragement that you need. Uh, we're in a series called Letters from Prison, and it's a, a letters that Paul wrote um, from prison to various places and people, and we're in the book of Ephesians. And uh, what's really intriguing about this book is that before Paul does anything else, before he asks you to do anything, before he tells you to stop doing stuff and start doing stuff and putting stuff away and putting stuff on, like he does in Ephesians 4, he tells you what you already have and who you already are, and he just confers and conveys and stamps you with an identity that's beautiful. And I love that first part of first three chapters of Ephesians, and we've kind of dealt with that. And so what we're going to do today is um, I'd just like to share with you kind of a propositional statement or a, a, a catchphrase that I want to kind of encapsulate the whole message with. And I'll share that with you in a moment. I'm going to show you a movie clip from a recent movie called Overcomer. And those of you in church online, we welcome you today, but there'll be, uh, you won't be able to see that due to copyright restrictions and things. But the movie is Overcomer, and I'll tell you a little bit about what the clip you just saw was in just a moment. So, but those of you who are at church home right here in Physical Plant Ligonier, um, you're going to see that clip today. And so I want to show that to you because... Uh, the reason I want to show it to you is when you see it, you'll understand the lady in the movie, the lady and, the, and her husband in the movie, um, and the way she handles this marital conflict, she does such a beautiful job, and she actually illustrates the points that I want to make in Ephesians 4, verse 25, through Ephesians 5, uh, chapter 5, verse 4. And so it gives us kind of a, just a really quick um, demonstration of the stuff I want to talk to you today out of a a passage of scripture that we began to unpack last week. And so I want to do that, and then I want to talk to you how the gospel talks to us. Uh, So the Bible shows us how to talk to each other, especially husbands and wives, but anytime you're working through a a conflict or a problem, um, you know, with other people, what you're going to hear today is going to help you with that. It's going to help you to know how to talk through issues with people, okay? But also, the gospel talks to us. And I want to show you how, when Paul says to put on this new life in Christ, he's saying that the gospel talks to you and it tells you things. It tells you to think differently about things, okay? I'll explain it. Just stay with me. And then uh, after that, I want to close to a Tina Conkin story Um, which is an incredible story uh, of God's grace and forgiveness, a very tragic story, but God, because of of someone choosing to forgive, to show, to walk in love, as Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 says to do, God did something incredible. So don't ever count God out. I don't care how rough it is when you walked in here this morning. I don't know what happened in your home, what's happening in your life, so many times people tell me, you know, I have no, I, you had no idea, but God was using, this was the right time for me to hear that message. So God's got this message planted right here for a reason. 
because there's, this needs to minister to your heart, and I think it will. Okay, so that's kind of how I want to roll. And so how many of you have ever uh, lived out in your life, this is the proposition now of the statement, okay? We're going to encapsulate it, and I'm going to move on and unpack it and demonstrate it. All right, so how many of you, though, have had moments and seasons in your life where somebody has looked at you, somebody that loved you, somebody that really cared for you, had invested in your life, and they look at you after, you do, have, after you've done something just really out of character, something that's, I mean, just kind of idiotic, really, and weird, and just so an anomaly of how you roll in life. They look at you and say, that's not who you are. You ever have somebody do that to you? Or with you? That's not who you are. You are better than this. Not them. We're not better than anybody, right? But you're better than this. You're better than that. You, 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 your life, what I know about you, what you how you've been invested in and, and loved and cared for, this is so, this is not who you are. Have you ever been there? So Paul, in a way, does that, as I said, as he opens this book and so of Ephesians. And so I think what Paul is modeling for us and what we are to do is that we are to constantly remind each other who you are in Christ and remind each other ever so often. In fact, we, we never outgrow this. We never outgrow the need of being reminded about who we are in Christ, that we're saved, we're rescued, we're adopted, we're sanctified, we're justified, sanctified, we're set apart, we're holy, we're called. We, 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 are, uh, we are people, um, we are warriors in a fight. We are parents engaged in the raising of a family. We are, we are spiritually alive. We, are in, in a, we have a new identity. That's who we are. And we have to remind each other often of this because we are so forgetful. And when we don't have these constant reminders of who we are like that, we forget. And we begin to do stuff out of character and we begin to do things that's like, whoa, wait a second, where did that come from? And I didn't know I was capable of that. And so we have to remind each other often. And so Paul even says it, um, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, it's not on our slide this morning, but if you, just, if you do have a Bible, you're always free to open them. I will have the, the scripture up on the screen in just a moment. But it's Ephesians 4, 17. Paul says a phrase, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Well, what's, what's he got against Gentiles? Non-Jewish people. Well, they were very well known for a lot of shenanigans. A lot of, they live their life in a lot of anti-God ways, let's just say it that way. Okay, very pagan in how they view life. And Paul says, that's not you anymore. You've been saved. You've been set apart. You've been rescued. You've been redeemed. Now live in light of it. You see what he does? It's just beautiful. It's so beautiful. He says, because you have changed, you're now united to Christ that this must impact and affect every part of your life now. So to put off the old self, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.22, to put on the new self, as Paul says in Ephesians 4.24, to put away all the behaviors and, and uh, even the beliefs and things that we, re we oriented our life around, now we're going to reorient our lives around a new reality. You know, when the kids were home for Christmas, there was a movie out. Uh, there's been a movie that's been put out by the makers of Fireproof, um, War Room, Courageous, Facing the Giants, Flywheel, I think I've named all of them, the Kendrick Brothers. They've done a great job of producing these very uh, high-impact spiritual movies that really just they entertain you they, they do a good job they're not cheesy they're actually you know engaging well done and they and they have a great message and so overcomer is i think one of the most recent ones and overcomer 
what do you allow to define you is the kind of the byline for the title of that movie called Overcomer. And I enjoyed the movie because um, it tells the story of a cross-country runner and a coach, and the coach didn't have, I don't think, I think it was a football coach, and we're going to have football that year for some reason, and now there's this one cross-country runner and she needs a coach so desperately, and so he kind of transfers over and becomes the cross-country coach. At the same time, um, she is trying to reconcile with her father, who she's estranged from. And so you can watch this movie, uh, and you'll be very, you know, this will be a great snow day movie, all right? Uh, so you can watch that and kind of see the story unfold. And, and, uh, but another, among other things, the, the coach and his wife are having some issues. And um, there's another battle that's actually unfolding, and that's one of them. And at one point, the coach and his wife are really struggling with the conflict between themselves. And the wife got to a point where she knew she had to talk to her husband. And the way that she approached him in the movie was very moving for me. Now, I like running movies and stories, and I have an interest in that. And that's awesome, and that, that also is a very powerful message. But it's the way that the wife approached her husband that kind of laid me open. After the movie, I knew that this was one of the most impactful parts of the movie, and I asked Levi about it because he's the one that had us watch it. And he said, you know, that was one of the most high-impact parts of the movie for me too. And so I was, just started scratching my head, well, Why? Why in this, this great movie with so many other subplots happening, why do I go back to this moment where the wife approaches the husband? And that's the thing that stands out to me. And I think here's why. I think every man and every woman knows that there's a way that they would like to be approached by a spouse. Even when you've done something out of character. Even when you know you have blown it, you have messed it up. There's a way that you want to be approached. There's a way that you can approach and talk about a disagreement or a failure because we all do crazy things and we feel badly about those crazy things. And so many times we get so upset with someone who does those crazy things and the way we approach that person, the way we handle that issue is that we not only do we confront the issue, but we shame and we guilt and we just drive it right into the ground because we're so irate that they could do something so out of character. Well, the way she handles this it says respect, it says apology, it says value, it says, I mean, she acknowledges the imperfection, and what it says to me, it says you're better than this. That's not who you are, okay? Those of you in church online, if you'll just stand by a moment, again, you're going to have to go see the movie or uh, rent the movie, buy the movie. It's called Overcomer. Those of you here at Church Home, if you could go ahead and cue the movie for me. Um, we're going to have to listen really closely so we can hear the audio. Go ahead and cue it up and then uh, crank it up if you would. And you guys watch how this lady handles this beautiful, beautiful scene in this movie where this lady handles this conflict that's been escalating and escalating and building and finally she gets to the place where she's going to have to have a conversation with her husband are we good to go thank you so she moves up right in his field of vision here I am not looking that way, not looking. Here I am, right here. And she reminded him who he was. Okay. Why did that mean so much to me? Why does that mean so much to every man in this room? Because that's, if every man's honest, 
they're going to tell you. That's how I want to be confronted. That's how. And every woman in this room is going to tell you when she's blown it, that's how I want to be confronted. Now, I realize the audio wasn't very quality there, but you can go back and watch that movie and you can get all of it and rewatch it as much as you want to. But we're all going to have those moments in life where we want to do so much more than that. And there are moments where there's sparks and there's fire and there's confrontation and there's conflict. But when it all, when it all settles and the impact is made, it's going to be that kind of an exchange that's going to be the life-changing thing. Okay? And so, and I'm thinking, you know, if, if it's not possible for a spouse, if it's not possible for my wife to approach me that way, if it's not possible for your wife to approach you that way, your husband to approach you that way, what are we doing in relationships? How are we communicating in those relationships? What kind of behavior are we living out in those relationships that's making it impossible for a wife to want to do that? Or for a husband to want to do it that way. Because that's not how all of us do this. This is not, this is not intuitive to us. When we're angry, when we're upset, when we, we feel disappointment and we're bitter, we, we, we don't come across that way. Reminding people of who they are. But we, we come at them. And so, and so I think that we all have to look at that and think about, okay, if my relationship doesn't work that way, if there's moments when it doesn't work that way, then what needs to change? Well, I think the lady in the movie clip, the Overcomer movie clip, does all the things that Paul says to do in Ephesians 4, 25 through 5 through 4. If you look at it, there's several things that we can consider in verse 25 on the screen, if you would. It says, um, verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. And so if we have hope of overcoming the conflicts, if we have hope of getting through the marital um, issues even marital earthquakes and tsunamis in our life the first thing we got to do is keep it honest verse 25 you got to keep it honest and uh and we and it's important to make it easy even possible even for people to to keep to tell the truth to not keep secrets because that's what we tend to do is keep secrets and there has to be a time where we say, you know what, this is, this is not who I am, but this is what I have done. And that's hard. But every marriage goes through that. And so, and so Paul says, if you want to uh, make it possible for those kinds of exchanges, first thing, thing you do is keep it honest, verse 25. He says, keep it under control in verse 26. He says, in your anger... Do not sin, all right? Because anger is not all bad, right? I mean, there's a time to be angry, and there's a time to set boundaries so we don't get mad all the time. So, but it's important to keep it under control because otherwise you're never going to have those kinds of exchanges because everybody's going to be mad at each other. And so it's, it's important to keep it under control to keep it honest, to keep it under control, to, to keep it timed right. Verse 26, in your anger do not sin. And it says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Verse 27, talked about this last week. And do not give the devil a foothold. And so we got to keep it honest. We got to keep it under control. And we got to keep it timed right. Because if it's not timed right... Okay, if we let this stuff fester, if we don't pursue reconciliation on issues in our life, our relationship, that stuff creates 
a foothold for the devil, and again, I talked about that last week, and a foothold in the marriage, a foothold in the family, and, so, and if, we don't, if we don't deal with those things in a timely fashion, and we don't go into depth into those things as much as we need to, then it, it makes it very difficult to have those kinds of exchanges. I think we could even say to not only keep it honest and keep it under control and keep it timed right, but to keep it positively focused, right? Verse 28 up on the screen. Keep it positively focused, okay? So I think what happens is um, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need to stop stealing and withdrawing love from each other, all right? To stop doing that, to bless each other with our hands and to speak words of blessing and to be positive um, in how you're looking at things and seeing the best that you can see in despite of everything, right? To keep it positively focused. Verse 29, to keep it tactful, Verse 29, what does it say? Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And when we don't keep it tactful and there's unwholesome stuff that comes flying out of our mouths and we say things and it implies things and before you know it, you're living in such a way that that's not who you are. You're better than that. And so she keeps it honest and under control and she times it right and she's positively focused in in the clip and she keeps it tactful and it's private, right? Verse 31, get, get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. And that's what we do. You know, we, we have a conflict, we have an issue, we want to get on Facebook and tell the world, and we slander, and, and, and it's interesting as we look at these, these um, array of terms that Paul gives us in verse 31, it's an escalation, it, it builds, it starts with bitterness, it, it, it keeps going to rage and anger, and for, before you know it, it's all out brawl and there's slander and there's malice and there's plates flying and doors slamming and words flying and and things being broken and Paul's just heading that off and he says probably the best thing to do she understood it keep it private you don't need an audience you don't need an audience keep it off social media All right? Keep it honest. Keep it under control. Keep it timed right. You've got to have these times of intense conversations. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Keep it positively focused. Keep it tactful, verse 29. Keep it private, verse 31. Keep it surrendered, verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Verse 32, and that takes a surrendering to forgive because, you know, there's a reason why Paul says that. Have you ever been stolen from? Like he says, to stop stealing. Have you ever been, have you ever been berated by someone's words, a flurry of words, a, a barrage of words that left you feeling about that tall and they were spoken not from love but from hate and anger and frustration and bitterness? Have you ever been lied to or have you ever lied? Like he says, to put on the new, a new way of doing life and be truth-telling, not people that are, de- are deceptive. Well, if you've been lied to or you've lied, if you've, if you've stolen or been stolen from, if you, have, if you have cursed people out, if you have dressed them down in front of other people, just so you could get some slander and malice in there, just for good measure. 
Paul says we all face these things because we put on the old man instead of putting on the new, and we don't put off the old, and we live out the behaviors of the old, and before you know it, we've lived out these things, and we've just fractionalized our relationships, and here we are at a place in the relationship where we're going to have to make a decision to surrender this, and when we do, surrender looks like kindness, compassion, and forgiving because that's what Christ empowers you to do. That's putting on the new man. And so that's what he invites us to do. And then uh, if you look at verse um, 3, chapter 5, go to the next slide if you would. Uh, But among you, he says, of course he talks about walking in the way of love because we all have been offended and we've all offended and been offended. Just as Christ loved us, though, and gave himself up for us, he was a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You're like, how can I be a fragrant offering, sacrifice to God when I'm living with this? Right? Or I have to put up with that. Right? It's supernatural. It's supernatural. You can't do it, but he can through you. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for the for God's holy people that's not who you are keep it exclusive don't siphon off emotional romance or energy for anybody else bring it all to your husband or your wife so I think that's why that clip is so powerful. She kept it honest. She kept it under control. It was timed right. It was positively focused. It was tactful. It was private. It was surrendered. It was exclusive. And see, I think that's what Paul wants us to get a hold of because what was happening, and I'll share with you probably uh, maybe next week, I'll have you walk with me and we'll take a walk in the town of Ephesus in 62 AD. And I'll tell you and show you and demonstrate to you why he would say these things because the cultural climate in which they lived, they had all kinds of festivals, Dionysian cults, so on and so forth. And this was, these, all these things were issues. I'll explain it next week, okay? But what he's saying is um, these are, these are, behaviors of the old life from your old identity and now he's speaking a new identity over you and he wants you to put on he wants you to exchange the old clothes for the new clothes the old life for the new life okay and so and he shows you here it's embedded in the passage how to do that you know the gospel not only does this help us speak to one another when we Um, when we understand what's at stake in all of our communications with each other. But the gospel also talks to us. So we talk to one another, and this kind of shows us how to do that. But what the gospel comes to us now and tells us, and, and, and I think this is very important, the gospel talks to us, and we don't just say, well, I don't lie because I'm not supposed to lie. No, no, we say, I don't lie because of who I am now in Jesus He's the one who loved the truth. We are now people of the truth. And so that's why I, I want to be a person that doesn't deceive, but that speaks truth because I represent him when I do. So, so the gospel talk to us, talks to us like that. You don't say, well, I don't get angry anymore because it scares people. And I say things and do things I shouldn't. No, no. We say instead, I get angry, but I remember who I'm seated with in the heavenlies And he wants to come and live through my life, even in my anger. And maybe he's motivating me to do something that needs to honor him, that needs to be addressed maybe in the relationship, something that needs to be done. And so that's that's how I see it now. You don't just say, I don't steal because I might get caught. That's the old life. That's the old thinking. That's the old clothing of the past. You say, well, Jesus is the one I'm honoring here, right? And if he wants me to have whatever it is I'm thinking of stealing, then he can provide it. And if not, I'll be creative and I'll make it without it and enjoy the sweetness of unbroken fellowship with the Savior. The gospel talks to us like that now. 
You don't just say, I don't gossip because it hurts people. No, no, you say, because I'm a child of the king, my words carry weight now. And they're high impact and they have influence. And so I'm going to use my words to build people up when I can and not create devil footholds for them by what I say and what I do. I'm a sweet fragrance of Christ now. You see how the gospel talks to you? See, we got the old life mentality, the old clothing of the past. And we're thinking, I just don't do this because I don't want to get caught or embarrassed. But the new clothing of the future is, no, no, the gospel talks to us. You don't just say, I won't be bitter. You say, I'm part of a family who knows the value of forgiveness and we don't hold grudges in our family. We don't make people pay. Yeah, we can, people have to be held accountable, but we don't take our, and exercise a divine, some divine sovereign right that we're going to be the ones that make them pay. We let God take care of that. We release the obligation to pay back. See, that's new life stuff there. The gospel talks to you like that. You don't just say, I don't do extramarital stuff on the side because it's immoral. That's kind of the old life maybe says that. The new life says, I am an ambassador of God. I am in union with Jesus. I can't aid in the addiction and misuse of someone's body like this. Plus, it inflicts tremendous emotional damage on my marriage. See, the gospel talks to us like that now. That's what Paul is trying to say when you put on the, old, put on the new life and put off the old. That's what he's talking about is you let the gospel speak to you like that. You don't just say, well, I shouldn't use those curse words. You say, I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in me, and what I say is an overflow of my heart. It's coming out from my heart, and I represent Him. I'm not free to speak my words. Rather, it's got to be His words that matter. You see, the gospel talks to you like that. And that's what Paul, he wants you to start thinking that way. So that, so that you talk, he talks to you. And, and, he, and when he talks to you like this, you are putting on the new self. You are reminding yourself of who you are. And what God does on his part is by his Holy Spirit, he renews the spirit of your mind and your thinking. So that you have entirely new reasons for why you do what you do because I have a feeling if you're like me you're talking to yourself an awful lot Joey you're a pastor you can't do that right thank you for the Holy, for the Holy Spirit reminder Lord I agree I can't do that Joey right Holy Spirit ever give you one of those? Get them all the time. Why? Because the new life is talking to me like that. You can't do that, Joey. You can't say that. You can't feed on that. You can't, you can't be deceptive on that. You, no, no, Joey, come on now. You represent me. You're a truth teller. You're, you're a truth liver. And, and, and you're a person. You work hard. And you, and you want to add value to your family and your marriage. And you want to add value to Stones Hill Community Church. And, and, and you don't want to embarrass them and misrepresent them and make it hard for people to walk with the Lord because of your idiot decision you think you, you want to do. See, the gospel talks to you like that. And that's new life stuff. And so, and so Paul says, open up your life for, for not just to talk to each other. I've showed you how to do that. Now I want you to listen and let the gospel talk to you. Because when the gospel talks to you, when it talks to you, Esther, it'll say, you can forgive. You can do it. When the gospel talks to you, rock, okay, It'll tell you in those moments when you say, ah, I didn't, I don't like how that sounded. I don't like how that, and you go back and you patch that up and you fix that. Don't let the sun go down on your 
problem or you, you, you deal with it. You deal with it quickly. You put, put it on the agenda. You take care of it because it gives the devil foothold. And it grieves the spirit when we don't tend to things like that. You see what I'm saying this morning? You know, uh, I was, it's kind of like the talk that you give your kids as they're growing up and especially they get to a place where uh, you start sharing some things with them because they're going to be launching and leaving the nest soon. And so I can remember having these kind of conversations with all three of them. It's those conversations where you remind them who they are, right? Don't forget you're a Nelson. Like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. Uh, no, no, don't forget you're a Nelson. We're not better than anybody, right? In fact, we're gonna, we, we love people. We're not better than anybody, but there's some things that you've been stamped with and you've been invested in, and, and I just don't want you to forget who you are. You get out there in the world, in the army, you're doing your thing, you're living an anonymous life in big cities and, and, and weird and, and crazy cultures. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who's invested in you, who created you, what he's designed you to do, what he's done for the world in and through Jesus, how you, what you say, what you say, among all your army buddies, because they have a certain protocol, certain things that they do and how they say things. And like, you don't, you don't have to assimilate in those kinds of cultures. You represent something new and fresh. Don't forget who you are, Right? And you just look at them and it's like, you know what, they're hearing me, but I don't know that this getting through and they just got to go live. And once they live, they'll, it'll circle back around, they'll understand it. But I remember, I remember these conversations, okay? We're, we're Nelsons, right? We don't cheat on tests. We don't do that. We don't board up windows in Detroit and not let people observe. That's not who we are. That's not how we roll, is it? No, 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 we don't hide votes under tables in Atlanta. That's not who we are. We, we don't cheat on our girlfriends and our boyfriends and our spouses, okay? We don't do that. We don't destroy federal property. We don't break windows out and steal things and as, a, as if we're entitled to it. Don't steal stuff. It's in our text. That's not who we are. We're, we're Nelsons. We're Stones Hillers. We're, we're Ligonierites or whatever. We are, we are Indiana Hoosiers, man. We represent in the world. We don't unwrap the precious gift of someone's sexuality until God says it's time to do that. You represent something. You work hard. You live honestly. You speak truth. You enjoy life. You glorify God. That's who you are. You're a Nelson, and Paul is saying you're a Christian. You're a Christ follower now. And there's going to be times, there's going to be times that, go back a slide. Times maybe we get it right. Other times we get forgetful. Go back a slide if you would. Other times we, we're forgetful, but we come and we, and, and even though we face these things, it's so important that we are kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving who? Each other. How? Because just as in Christ, God forgave you. See, we need that. And here's what I want to say to you. I don't care what you've done, how bad it is, how to, out of character it was. You come to Stones Hill. Because we'll speak truth to you, but we won't stop loving you. Isn't that a great deal? I don't care how shameful you feel, how guilty you feel, how like, man, I just can't even show my face. I can't believe I, that is not who I am that is so out of character, that's an anomaly, come to our church, church online, come to our church. We understand the dynamic. We've all been there. And we're gonna speak truth over you and just remind you week after week after week of who you are and what you're called to represent. And we're not gonna withdraw love. You'd never wanna withdraw love and that's what we so often do. Have you ever had those moments in your life when you lived out of character and the Holy Spirit just did one of these. 
on the clip. You're like, oh, man, you're in my face. Give me some space, right? No, you don't need space, Nelson. I'm here. Boom. You got me? You with me? You're called to live better than this, right? You're called to live better than this. This is not who you are. How you're treating your wife, how you're treating your family, what you're thinking of doing, all the things, that, the struggles you have in your life, that's not who you are. And the gospel talks to you like that. What's God saying to you today? You know, um, you, you're so kind each week. Somebody was telling me I love coming to Stone Seal because there's always a story at the end. And I can't wait to hear it. I'm just so excited about what I hear. Like, it's just great. I got another one for you. The story is Tina Conkin. If you would put it up on the screen for me. How God Used the Other Woman is the title of her book. She and her husband, Ron, led a relationship and marriage ministry for several years. But she says that she'll forever remember the day of January the 5th, 1998, because she heard three simple words after 17 years of marriage with her husband, Ron, that confirmed her worst nightmare. These were the three words she heard. Yes, it's true. You ever heard those words? It's devastating. Yes, it's true. Those three words confirmed a betrayal by her husband with her best friend. And she said, you know, those three words, I never thought I would say this, but those three words, she said, the sexual abuse, the abandonment, the bullying, the loneliness that she suffered as a little girl long before she ever thought about marriage or whatever. She, she had a very rough home life. She said, all that I suffered as a child could not compare to the day that I heard those three words. She says, I would not have made it if I had not chosen to live out Ephesians 4, verse 32 be kind, compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Now stay with me. When the betrayal all came to light, she said, I spent many nights curled up, bawling my eyes out. And she had a lot of questions, obviously. She had a lot of questions. How did this happen? And how could you? And how did I not know about this? And when did this start? And when were you deceiving me? And when were you telling me the truth? And why would you do this to me and to our kids and to our ministry? And, and why don't you love me? And, and why wasn't I enough? And, and, and why did you want her and not me? And these questions went on and on and on. And to get some answers to some of her questions, she sought out other people. And one lady shared how that oftentimes with infidelity, there comes a rush of excitement there's an infusion of the new, and so there's a trance-like deception that settles over the people, and the person just goes after the good feelings without regard to the consequences of their action. They live so out of character. Good people can live out of character, they can, and it's not who they are. She tells you a little bit about Ron's life. Ron, her husband, was the golden child of his family. He had never rebelled he was a great son. He was a great husband. He, he was a ministry leader. Um, his kids loved him. But tragically, Ron's mom got pancreatic cancer. And Tina could see Ron retreating into a secluded place in his heart, and she couldn't reach him there. And he had a very strong emotional bond with his mom, as he was viewed as the healing child in that family, her mother, his mother, had given birth to a child that was 18 months old and lost that child tragically and accidentally. And now Ron was born right after that child. And so he was kind of viewed as the healing child for the family. 
a very close emotional bond that he had with his mother as a result of it. And Ron lost his mom, and for some reason, Tina said, I couldn't comfort him. And I didn't know how to be there for Ron. I didn't know how to offer healing words. All I did, I I would bark out these orders with with no compassion. There was no getting in a chair and oozing up into his field of vision and, and, and having that kind of an exchange that we just saw on the screen. There was none of that. There was just a barking out of orders. And, and, and so she, she was just perplexed as to how to help her husband. And so she had a best friend who had lost a parent. And one day she said, maybe, she said to her best friend, maybe you could talk to Ron. And Tina's friend could see the pain that he was in, and so she reached out to comfort him. And Ron was hurting and withdrawing, and Tina's friend understood the pain because she had lost a parent. And even though Ron was a great guy, was not definitely not a womanizer or anything like that. He was deeply emotional, and, he led, and it led him to believe a false reality, and, and Tina's friend became the other woman. Tina said something, or she writes this. She says, God seemed to whisper to me after she had some time to understand and unpack this. God seemed to whisper to me, Tina, what role did you play in all of this? She was like, are you kidding me, God? I'm the victim. He cheated, not me. This can't be God. There's no way. And she huffed and puffed. And then she got quiet. And she said, I heard again. Tina, what role did you play in all of this? All those years leading the marriage seminars had taught her that the truth, we've read about it today, the truth was the only way to heal And to be honest with yourself about what led up to the crises. She said, I wanted to feel sorry for myself. I wanted to be the victim. I wanted to stay in victim mode. Blaming everything on Ron, my husband. Blaming the other woman. But she said, I knew something about victims in all the years I'd been counseling other people. Victims never heal. They spend their lives blaming everything and everyone, and it's so much easier to do that rather than take a long, hard look inside. Tina, she heard again, what role did you play in all of this? She said, as soon as I made the decision to be willing to see my part in this situation, she said, as soon as I decided to do that, God gave me what I needed. She says, I went back in time in my story. And I recalled a vivid, painful memory when I was 21 years of age. I was standing in a funeral home. I was standing over the body of my 25-year-old boyfriend who had had cancer. And he passed away at 25 years of age. And she was having her final moments with him. And she could see this so vividly. And she placed a red rose on his chest and she said in that moment, my heart started to race because God was showing her something. And the Lord was just quiet and he just kind of watched this unfold in her mind. And she said, I finally saw it. Tina, what role did you play in all of this? She said, the Lord showed me how standing at that casket She had made a vow in her heart to never love or nurture another man the way she had cared for this boyfriend with cancer. She said she had locked up a piece of her heart and she vowed to never give it to anybody again. And when that casket cover closed over her 25-year-old boyfriend, a part of her heart closed. She said when she recognized what had happened, She said, my spirit sank as I realized I had been withholding my heart from my husband. 
The love I gave Ron was guarded and fearful. And right then, I remembered all the times I had rejected Ron. I saw every time he had reached out to nurture me and I was cold toward him. I saw the times when he needed a word of encouragement and I was silent. The times when he needed me to hold his hand and I clenched my fist. The times when he desired for me to make the first move and I refused to budge from my position. I saw the days when he was discouraged, yet I offered no comfort. I saw the cup of coffee I didn't bring, the shoulder rub I never gave, the nurture I had locked away and buried inside. She said the affection I refused to show, the intimacy I'd avoided or I would never initiate were ways I demonstrated the hurt and abandonment I'd felt as a 21-year-old girl who had watched a 25-year-old boyfriend died from cancer. She remembered another time Ron had written her this wonderful, elaborate 14-page letter. She went away for the weekend, probably doing a marriage seminar, comes home, and she and Ron gives her this beautifully written, handwritten 14-page letter. There's no backup, so this is not digital. It's just written on paper. She reads two lines in that letter, and something, the way he said something in the letter triggered her, and she rips that, the rest of that 14-page letter up into shreds. And she says, I wish I could tell you today what it said, but I only remember the first two lines because that's how all the further I got. And somewhere in her heart, she's hearing those words. Tina, that's not who you are. You're better than this. She said, the decision to restore my broken marriage took days. But the process to renew my marriage was a two-year walk through the deepest agony I've ever faced. I saw stuff like that, she says. I saw the casket. I saw that moment. I saw what I did with the letter. I saw how I locked my heart up. And the first six months were the worst. There was screaming and yelling and anger and hatred and betrayal. Just go back to Ephesians 4, 25 through 5 through 4, and you'll see exactly what went on in her life and family. All of that stuff Paul wrote about, she experienced in her family. There was throwing things, there was crying, there was praying, there was pushing away, there was pulling back, there was unexpected rushes of anger. She would get in the closet and if it was his necktie or his shirt or his trousers or whatever, she would pull that out, pull that out and mound that up until there was not one piece of Ron left in that closet. She said, I saw the hurt in my son's eyes, in my daughter's eyes. Before the affair, Jenny, his daughter, couldn't say enough about her dad. They went on daddy-daughter dates. They played sports together. They, every single day, Ron told Jenny how beautiful she was. He protected her and loved her and kept her from feeling vulnerable. But after the affair, Jenny questioned everything. She said, I felt my dad had made a fool of the family. And I started believing that if the perfect husband and father can do something like this, then what chance do I have of ever finding someone who won't? She said, Jenny's heart grew hard. And she started living and thinking in ways that were out of character for her. You know, things like, I will never let a man humiliate me. I, I won't trust or love. And, and I will use men before they use me. And all men will hurt you. And Jenny said, I pushed my dad away. I disrespected my dad. He had lost the right to tell me what to do because of what he had done. She said, this gave me nightmares. Tina t wrote about the nightmares like every night for months. And it wasn't until she got to the place in her life and in this reconciliation 
restoration. Keep it honest. Keep it under control. Keep it timed right. Keep it positively focused. Keep it tactful. Keep it private. Keep it surrendered. We've been here just a few moments ago. Keep it exclusive. Right out of Ephesians 4 and 5. Have you done something out of character? Have you lived in a way that's just not who you are? Would you like to get back? Would you like to restore trust? Would you like to repair the breach? Well, you can. And Paul shows us how to do that. You know, um, Tina says, I don't have to tell you how high a price I paid for my vow to never nurture a man again. It almost cost me everything. It almost cost me my marriage, my relationship with my kids, my relationships with extended family. She says, the gift of repentance that gave me a second chance still counts as one of the most prized possessions and blessings of my life. And revealing the vow and all of its poison was the only reason my marriage ever received a second chance. And this is what she says to all of us. I hope that no matter who suggests otherwise, you'll consider forgiveness and restoration before anything else. Could I ask you a question? Church online, church home right here in our building today. Does any of this sound like your life? Why don't you come to Christ? Tina withheld her heart from Ron. She locked it up. She wasn't going to nurture a man ever again because God had betrayed her. Her boyfriend had died. And I'd like to ask you this morning, are you withholding your heart from Christ? He invites you into new life. And for whatever reason, you've shut it down and you've said no. I've locked my heart up. Maybe some awkward experience or unfortunate experience in your life has caused you to do that. And could I invite you today to not withhold your heart from him anymore, but to let him in. You know, Tina went through a time when she wanted to hurt the other woman with her words. All of those things, the malice, the slander, the unforgiveness, the anger, the bitterness. She wanted to speak that over this woman and speak that over her husband to reserve the right to stay angry and unforgiving. But she said, I I made a decision to reconcile. She says, I I thank God every day that he gave me the strength to forgive my husband and the other woman because that allowed me to experience God's grace in my own life. And this doesn't typically work this way, and I'll tell you why it worked this way in just a moment, but the other woman became her friend again. And that's kind of dangerous to do, but you'll understand why I say it and why she did it in just a second. Uh... The other woman lost her marriage. She was shunned by her church family. She had to work three jobs to survive. And Ron and Tina decided to do what they could to help bring her to a place of restoration. That's why it's so supernatural. They were married. Ron and Tina ended up being married another 15 years For 32 years of marriage, 15 of those coming after the affair and this tragedy in life. And he was doing great. He didn't feel sick. He never drank or smoked. But one day he was diagnosed with a malignant melanoma. And his daughter, Jenny, was able to forgive him finally and became his primary caregiver. She said, I spend every day with my dad and every night with him. 
I timed his medications and I learned how to give injections and I, I, bo- I bathed his bony body and changed sweat-soaked sheets. I made food he could actually keep down. I held his hand. I prayed and held him to his last breaths. And I know that it, that experience would not have happened if my parents hadn't decided to fight for this. And on December the 25th, 2013, Ron passed away after a four-year journey with cancer. And his family was with him. I've talked to you about some pretty, pretty uh, hard-hitting stuff today, right? Some crazy stuff. But there's going to come a time in your life where... you're going to wish that would have happened more in your life. Don't wait. Don't wait. Your kids' futures and lives are staked on it. Your joy and happiness, your true joy and happiness is going to be built around it. Don't wait. Talk to each other better. As Paul has recommended here, let the gospel talk to you. Let it talk to you, speak to you. And don't delay. Don't delay. Minimize the regrets. Don't lock your heart up. Open it up. Let him in. Let him in. And he can give you a new life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this day thank you so much for these people my people our people your people and I thank you for the privilege of talking to them each week and I ask and pray today that through the miracle of this story someone that lived out the passage that we have in front of us today that something that has been spoken uh, something communicated something that has been presented was would stick hard and fast in the deepest parts of who we are. And Father, if we have withdrawn love and we have locked our hearts up where we can't nurture and we can't love and we can't show compassion, we've created a devil foothold for somebody, maybe a husband. We've created a a grieving of the spirit moment in a husband's life and he longs for this. He longs for the love of his wife. He longs to be held by his wife. He longs to be affirmed by his wife and nurtured by his wife and for whatever reason, that's being denied him. I pray you bring our wives to repentance. And Father, I think of husbands who have so betrayed their their wives. A hint of immorality. I mean, what husband here can even stand and in front of a text like that and walk out with a sense of confidence. No, Lord, no. We have, we have done so much more than hints at immorality. Father, we have, we, have, uh, we have made mistakes and we have done things perhaps we should not have done. No, not perhaps, that we should not have done. And we knew it. And we've alienated our wives and we've not protected them and loved them and we've not, they've been vulnerable and they've been exposed and they feel like they, feel like they don't have what, the, the sense of confidence and love and joy in life because we have, we, have, we have lived out the things in this passage where we've been angry and we've been bitter and we've, we've been uh, upset and we have been outraged and we have brought and we have fought and we have... We have been filled with our pride. Father, bring our husbands to repentance. Bring us to repentance. That we will love these precious, precious ones that you have entrusted to us. And so, Father, whether we are husbands or wife, uh, we know that there's other relationships in our life today. And uh, some of those relationships may be filled with some of the characteristics that Paul has described here in Ephesians 4 and 5. And I pray that anybody is, who's been disrespected or unloved, I just pray that you would fill them and infuse them with your love and your grace and you would set them free. 
And you would enable them to face whatever relational heartache that they have to face. And if there's things that broken down with their mom or dad or their sibling or their co-worker, I just pray, Father, that through this ministry of this message, that the gospel would start talking to them. And the first thing it would say, right now, why don't you come home? Why don't you come to Christ and put on a new life and set up an ongoing conversation for the gospel to talk to you every day as you endeavor to live a new identity? Because this is not who you are. You are better than this. You have more power than this that you have not accessed. You have more love than this that you have not expressed. You have more forgiveness than this that you have, not, that you have delayed, that you have, that you have hindered from being expressed and communicated. You have more grace than this. You have more hope than this. You have so much more in the gospel. And I pray that we would access it now and we would activate this new life in Christ by saying yes to you. Come on in, Lord. We're ready. We ask all these things in your strong name. Amen. You have been so good today. Church Online, thank you. Church Home, thank you for being here today. If you see me out in the middle of a cornfield doing donuts in, in four high, just I'm okay. Everything's fine. If you see me stuck, call somebody, all right? Otherwise, I'm going to enjoy this day, and I want you to enjoy this day. Will you stand with me? We will see you next week. Go in his grace and his peace. Be blessed. Amen.